HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Good afternoon and welcome to uh, Heritage Radio Network. This is the inaugural broadcast of Cutting the Curd, your bi-weekly dairy dispatch. And thanks to Hearst Ranch uh, as a sponsor of this, uh, of our first show. Um, we're broadcasting today from Roberta's Pizza, which is a beautiful little uh, patch of garden out in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, boasting some of the finest pizza in the borough. Um, and... Our show today is about National Dairy Month. It may be a little known fact in New York City, but June is National Dairy Month. Uh, It would seem that the stars have aligned for our inaugural dairy broadcast here on Heritage Radio. We're going to spend the next half hour uh, dissecting Dairy Month, and um, it's going to be myself and my lovely co-host, Miss Natalie Jordy, who is an author and popsicle saleswoman extraordinaire. Hello, everybody. (laughs) Um... So we're going to go over a bit of history and lore behind this nationwide festival and then call in the dairy experts. And by experts, I mean people from Wisconsin. Uh, Nobody does dairy quite like that great Midwestern state, and we have two wonderful guests who are both steeped in cheesy traditions to illuminate the wonders of Dairy Month for everybody out there in in radio land. Um, first, we're going to be calling on Jeannie Carpenter, who is a self-de- self-described cheese geek, cheese geek and author. And uh, then we'll be talking with Bill Schlinsog, um, a seasoned dairy veteran who has seen more action uh, in pretty much every aspect of the dairy business in Wisconsin than anybody I know. Um, so without further ado, let's get down to a little bit of history. Uh, dairy Month history. National Dairy Month started in 1937 as National Milk Month, and um, it was actually a way for farmers to deal with uh, surplus milk. Uh, Why was there a surplus? Um, Well, in the summer, the cows go out on pasture, and uh, cows on pasture produce way more milk uh, than cows that are confined in the barn and who aren't getting much exercise and who aren't getting access to all that good green food. Um, and back in the 30s, commercial and home refrigeration was sort of spotty at best. And so the farmers needed an outlet for, uh, for milk, which is, of course, a really perishable product. Um, little side note on the history of refrigeration, which I found while spelunking around the Internet uh, like a dork. Um, in 1921, there were only 5,000 refrigerators produced in the United States. Uh, By 1931, there were over one million refrigerators made, and uh, production really didn't take off until after World War II. And 
by 1950, over 80% of farms and over 90% of homes had refrigerators. So somewhere in, in between that time, they started Dairy Month to try to get people to drink more milk and eat more ice cream in the summertime. Um, in 1939, the name was changed from National Dairy Month, or National Milk Month, sorry, to National Dairy Month, and came to encompass other products such as butter, ice cream, and cheese, which of course uh, I have a particular affinity for. Um, and though the campaign was national, nobody celebrated harder than Wisconsin, who at that time was the largest dairy state. Um, sadly, they, that title was usurped in 1993 by California. But uh, Wisconsin is still the biggest cheese-producing state. Um, so that is uh, still one of their claims to fame. Um, so how did they celebrate Dairy Month? Uh, that's what we're kind of here to find out about. And uh, we're going to be talking to our first guest, Jeannie Carpenter, in uh, just a moment or two. Um, and we're going to be talking to her about Dairy Days in Wisconsin, which are... Um, festivals held in the summer in the summertime in June uh, that focus on farm breakfast but they also have um, all kinds of livestock competitions and you know cart pulling and just good old-fashioned Midwestern fun have you ever been to any anything like that Natalie no not in America but I do know that in some of the European countries they have similar festivals especially at the time where the cows are coming back down from the mountain and so on yeah yeah so we're gonna see how Wisconsin does it and uh, we'll be back in just a moment. Hello. So um, we're back on Cutting the Curd here with uh, Jeannie Carpenter, who is being patched in from uh, Wisconsin to talk to us, especially this afternoon. Jeannie writes a, uh, a dairy blog, um, which is actually, it's the Cheese Underground, um, blogspot.com. And uh, it's a really, really funny blog. Anyone who has, you know, the opportunity to check it out definitely should. Um, her most recent entry that I had uh, come across was all about cheese curds. And uh, if I can find it here. Wisconsin's national dish. Wisconsin's national dish, absolutely. And basically, Jeannie's recommendation for everybody was, if you can't get fresh cheese curds um, where you live, um, your best bet would just be to move to Wisconsin because <laughs> there's no other substitute. Jeannie, are you there? Yes, I am. Oh, great. All right. We are Woo-hoo. in business. Um, so I was wondering if you could first uh, tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got involved with cheese. Oh, sure. Um, well, I'm from Wisconsin originally. Um, actually grew up on a farm, but we didn't milk cows. Uh, really didn't get involved with cheese in the dairy industry until about six years ago. Um, was asked to uh, do some communications work for a nonprofit organization that was trying to um, kind of reinvigorate uh, artisan, farmstead, value-added dairy in Wisconsin. And um, that's the first time I ever heard the term artisan cheese, and uh, I've sort of been hooked ever since. Aha. Uh-huh. So what was the first um, artisan cheese that you ever uh, that you ever tasted? Was, there, was it like love at first bite? <laughs> it was. You know, the, the first meeting that um, the, the organization is called the Dairy Business Innovation Center, and uh, this is when we were just starting up. 
and they asked me if you know if, if I would be interested in, in having a job writing about artisan cheese. And my first question was, uh, "What is artisan cheese?" <laughs> um, but but in my defense, in Wisconsin six years ago, we didn't have a whole lot of cheese that fit that category. The first um, stuff that I had that really knocked my socks off um, was a sheep's milk cheese made um, by Bob. Wills at Cedar Grove Cheese. He's making it, and he still makes it for the Wisconsin Sheep Dairy Cooperative called Dante. Okay. And that was that was the first time I really ever had cheese that it it was it was complex. It was like eating a, a completely different food. For me, it was the the sheep cheese. The sheep did it to me too. It was the same. I was in Italy um, when uh, I was in college visiting a friend. And she took me to the central market there and we had some pecorino and I was just um, head over heels. I, I, I came back to the city completely obsessed with, mm-hmm. with finding it again. Um, cool. So now, uh, so you were working with the Dairy Business Innovation Center. Um, now you have your wonderful and funny blog. How did you decide to start that? Um, that I started that about three and a half years ago. Um, and I started that originally just to give the artisan cheesemakers in Wisconsin a voice. Um, it was to the point where I had been working with the, the Dairy Business Innovation Center for a couple years by then, and I was trying to pitch stories to food editors and to buyers around the country, you know, telling them that we had, we're making this great artisan cheese in Wisconsin, and literally I could not get anyone to return my call because, um, then, sometimes now, but really then, when people thought Wisconsin, they thought of those form, uh, those foam orange cheese heads that we wear. Of course, no yeah. One, yeah. My grandma's <laughs> a Packer fan. I own one. Oh, yes, yes. I mean, like, everybody has one here. But um, no one really believed me when I said, you know, we're making farmstead, handmade artisan cheese. And so I started that blog to um, just start really highlighting those folks in Wisconsin. I would go around and interview them, take pictures, describe the process, and it really sort of morphed into um, kind of like this, this scoop on what's happening um, in the artisan and farmstead cheese industry, and it's, I've had so much fun. That's great. I noticed um, that your last entry focused on cheese curds, which um, are, of course, a, a Wisconsin staple. Um, we don't see too many cheese curds out here in New York. I, I have some at my shop, and they're actually from upstate because I try to focus on uh, on local farms. But that's the first question I get when everybody tries them. They're like, are these from Wisconsin? And I kind of like, I'm ashamed that I have to tell them no. And then they ask me, are they fresh? Like from today, do they squeak? And I'm like, oh, they don't really squeak either. And so I loved it um, on your blog when you said if people can't get fresh cheese curds, they should probably just pack up and move to Wisconsin because that's the only way to get them. Yeah, yeah. um, You know, our our state milk marketing board does a great job promoting cheeses. And so they put out this press release, you know, basically telling the nation why they should buy Wisconsin cheese curds. Well, I'm sorry, but I've been on both coasts, and I've bought the bag of Wisconsin cheese curds, and by the time that they get there, they're nothing but, you know, little chunks of cheddar cheese. Um, They no longer fit that curd um, definition, because to be a cheese curd, it really has to be a day or less old. It's got to be squeaky. It's going to get stuck in your teeth. It's going to be really salty, and it's going to be awesome. Um, And people just don't. They don't get that if they don't if they can't get fresh curds in Wisconsin. They think cheese curds are these little chunks of you know cheese that they buy in a bag, and I'm telling you, it's just not the same. Well, 
I completely agree. Whenever I go home to visit my family, I try to uh, endeavor to get across the border for a minute to uh, I, I grew up outside of Chicago, but um, literally about 20 minutes from Wisconsin. So I always try to go and get my uh, fair share of cheese, um, you know, or cheese curds when I'm uh, back visiting the family. Yeah. Um, but so we were, uh, you know, on the show today specifically to talk about National Dairy Month, which is, um, you know, of course, probably bigger in Wisconsin than anywhere else. Uh, in the country. And um, I was hoping that we could, you know, that you could tell me a little bit about what goes on as, as National Dairy Month in Wisconsin. Sure. Jenny, where in Wisconsin sure. are you? I am, I am in Oregon, which is just south of Madison. Okay. And so I'm, um, I'm in the epicenter of uh, dairy world here in Wisconsin. This, uh, most of the dairying goes on in the southern um, half of the state. And, uh, so, yeah, so June Dairy Month in Wisconsin um, pretty much turns into, it's kind of like the Texas of, um, of, of cheese. You know, everything's bigger, better, we eat more, we consume more, we talk more about dairy. You know, God love us, it's all about cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, to give you an idea, we have, we have 72 counties in Wisconsin, and in the month of June, we will have 75 county dairy breakfasts. Um, some counties love them so much they have more than one. So, um, and yeah. some of these names, I, I was looking at the, I, I try to go to a couple every year, and some of these I haven't been to, but uh, we have one going on June 13th in Waukesha called Dairylicious Days. Very and then nice. One on, yeah. And then the one in June 20th in Columbia County is called the Moo Day Brunch. The Moo yeah. Day Brunch. Yeah. So we what happens at creative. these? Yeah, what, what, um, what are the breakfasts like? So what, what happens, it's, um, um, you know, anywhere between a thousand and ten thousand people descend on a dairy farm. It's a work. They're always held at a working dairy farm, so that you can tour um, the barns, you can look at the cows, you can pet the animals, and then everybody lines up under this huge, you know, two-acre tent, and you eat a breakfast that consists entirely of dairy. <laughs> Cheese curds again. Sounds yes. like heaven. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's usually, you know, pretty inexpensive. You know, it's anywhere between $3, $5 a person. It's to really get people, you know, excited about eating dairy and getting on the farms. Because, you know, so many of us are at least one, sometimes two or three generations removed. So it's it's good to, to remind kids where their food comes from. Absolutely, absolutely. Have you seen in your area that... Um that sort of dairy scape has um, changed a lot since, uh, since when you were a kid? Or, um, yeah, yeah, what are the changes yeah, you know, you've it, seen? It has. Um, you know, when I was a kid, um, I lived on a road um, with four different farms, and um, three of the farms milked cows. My dad actually milked cows until 1966, and he sold the herd. Um, since then, I go back home, and none of those farms are operating anymore. Um, what's happening in Wisconsin, we're still making the same amount of milk. Actually, we're making more milk. But we are transitioning into um, a little bit bigger farms. And they're still family-owned. What's going on is, you know, a mom and a dad bring a daughter and a son-in-law or, you know, a niece and a nephew into the operation. And instead of milking 50 cows and making a living, which they could have done 20 years ago, now they're milking 150 cows. Okay. Um, so maybe they have to buy the neighbor's farm down the road. Um, and so what happens when you, where you used to have four farms, maybe you have one or two now. Um, they're still family owned. They're just they're they're milking more cows and making more milk. Okay. Okay. Do Same you think, thing that's happening everywhere, really. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, 
that was lovely. I'm glad she got to join us for a few minutes. Um, and we'll fo- anyone who wants to follow up with uh, Jeannie and her work should definitely visit uh, cheeseunderground.blogspot.com because she is a very entertaining and very uh, knowledgeable and obviously passionate writer. So um, thank you so much to Jeannie for joining us. And we're going to take another quick break and uh, we'll be right back. Cutting the Curd uh, with uh, my good friend Natalie Jordy. My name is Ann Saxelby, and we are here talking. Our next guest is um, Bill, is Bill Stligson, who is uh, a veteran of many different aspects of the dairy business in Wisconsin. Um, I actually met Bill last July at the American Cheese Society conference in Chicago, where uh, I was asked to be a judge. And um, Bill was my co-judge, and uh, we just had a great time, and he has an invaluable store of knowledge about dairy in the state of Wisconsin. So thank you so much for being on the radio with us today, Bill. Okay. Um, so you've been involved with many different aspects of cheese and dairy. Um, I think I remember you telling me that you're, you grew up in a, uh, in a, uh, on a cheese... Well, you didn't have animals, but your family made cheese. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. Um, yeah, we had a small uh, cross-crowds uh, cross uh, cheese factory. Um, and uh, what, uh, what kind of cheeses would you make there? Well, at that time, we just made cheddar cheese. Okay. And that's uh, basically, uh, there weren't a lot of specialty-type cheeses in the, uh, being made at that time. Where did the milk come from then? The milk came from all small little farms and, um, in the area. Would you make cheese uh, seven days a week? or? Uh, oh, no, seven days a week. There was no refrigeration or things like that. You didn't do that. You picked up the mornings and the night's milk uh, in the morning, and uh, then you made cheese out of it every day, every seven days a week. Rain or shine, Rain sleet or, shine, yeah. sleet or snow. My dad grew yeah. up on a farm just like that. They just picked up milk uh-huh. from all kinds of like local... Yeah. Dairy farmers with, you know, five to 50 cows, and everybody just dropped off their milk at five o'clock in the morning. And 
my grandpa spent all morning making cheese, and and then everybody familiar. was paid according to how much milk they had donated. So That's if nice. on a given day their milk made up, you know, thirteen percent of the volume of cheese that had been made, then they would make thirteen percent of the proceeds off that cheese. Oh, that was a little bit different. Um. Yeah, so how would the milk get from these small farms to your family's cheese factory? Was it, um, did you guys go out and pick it up, or did everyone drop um, it off like Natalie oh, was talking about? Some, some of them that were close by would uh, bring their milk okay. themselves, and then we, would, uh, we had a truck that we would go out and get uh, the rest of it from the farmers. Now, um, did you grow up in a big family? Was it just you, or did you no. have brothers and sisters helping out? <laughs> no, I had uh, an older brother... Um, and I also had a younger brother, but he was a, a lot younger, so he was just a baby then. Okay. But uh, my old, it was during the, um, World War II, and my older brother had graduated from high school, and uh, it was drafted into the Army. So I was the uh, next in line and uh, helping my dad make cheese. Okay. Wow. Wow. Um, and um, so you said there was no electricity, um, in your cheese factory at that time? No, is not in the first factory we were in. We uh, did not have electricity. And being as how it was during World War II, you couldn't get um, uh, the uh, electricity in at that time. Everything was for the war. Wow. So we went quite a while just with uh, running uh, a steam engine to power a drive shaft. Uh, and that drive shaft run belts off and ran all the equipment and things. Wow, that's incredible. That's, uh, I mean, to, for somebody, um, you know, nowadays, it just seems like the technical, you know, just the, the technical know-how, um, even for how to make the cheese, how to know when the milk is, you know, hot enough, how to know when to run it, how to do all different parts of the process would just be, you know, so much harder uh, with that. Yeah, it was very uh, rudimentary uh, type making cheese. You felt of things with your hands and you tested things by feeling of them, and, and uh, your starters were not the kinds that they use nowadays where you just uh, take some starter and you add it into the milk and that sort of thing. We had to carry over our starter mm-hmm. uh, every day from uh, taking some of the uh, starter out from the day before yeah. and carrying it over to the next day to set. Were you running a pasteurizer off that steam engine, no, no, or was it no unpasteurized? Pasteurizer. Yeah. No, uh, Interesting. No electricity, you know. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So can I ask a little bit about your family's background? Um, where was your family from originally, and how did they uh, wind up in Wisconsin? Um, the, my family originally came from Germany. Uh, my great-grandfather came, and uh, then my father, and they were farmers. And then my father, uh, being one of quite a number of children, um, decided that he liked uh, making cheese, so uh, he worked for a, a neighboring cheese factory, and that's how he got into uh, making cheese. And then uh, as it went along, he wanted to uh, have his own place, so he did buy a little small little cheese factory that had been closed. But the farmers in the area wanted a cheese factory that they could uh, have close by, and uh, uh, so they opened the factory up again, and, and he purchased it. And uh, where where was the factory located? It was in Clark County, which is right in the center of the, of Wisconsin. Okay, and it's basically a dairying area. There isn't much manufacturing at all there. Okay, okay. And um, the site where the the cheese factory was is there still uh, dairying going on there, or has the landscape really changed a lot? 
Uh, no, there's still dairy going on there. Um, but the factory itself is gone because it was a small little factory. At, um, at that time, there were uh, uh, close to 3,000 little cheese factories in Wisconsin. Wow, wow. And then when uh, trucking came along where they could haul the milk further, you know, mm-hmm. well, then they did more uh, of that type of thing, and a lot of these little factories closed uh, because they were getting larger and... Um, problem came in with the sewerage and things like that, that the uh, DNR, um, you had to have some kind of a way to expel all of that product away and um, drainage from the factory and that sort of thing. So it became pretty costly for a a small little factory to put in anything to it. Bill, what did that cheese taste like? What is what? What did that cheese taste like? (laughs) Uh, Well, it's good cheese. Sure. We, uh, particularly in the, um, uh, when it was a little cooler, um, we had real good cheese. Uh, it did cause a problem, like, in the real hot months because, you know, people didn't have electrical cooling. They cooled with just well water, and sometimes that wasn't very cold either. They'd put it in a stock tank where they um, had their cows drinking out of also, and so it got kind of warm and the milk got very ripe. And uh, you needed hardly any starter at all because the milk was already working when you got it. Absolutely. And you'd have some gas formation and these types of things. Well, it, that's really interesting because um, in the first part of the show, we were talking with uh, Jeannie Carpenter about um, about National Dairy Month. And mm-hmm. um, in the course of my sort of research about it, it said that June was decided to be National Dairy Month because uh, of just what you're talking about. Um, they wanted to encourage people to drink more milk in the hot summer months because, you know, farmers needed a, they needed to move it, plain and simple. Well, yeah, June is, is a, a good month for making cheese it, in this climate that we are here because that's when your cows are out on the fresh grass, you know, and they, they really get some good feed and you get some really nice milk and some really nice flavored cheeses from that uh, grass-fed uh, um, cows that are giving the flush milk. At that time... Um, cows uh, uh, were in uh, supplying milk in the spring, and they just about all came in at that time when they'd have cows. So um, you had a flush of milk at that time. Uh, that isn't the case anymore. Farmers milk year-round kind of the same uh, amount of milk. They, they stagger how the cows become fresh. Okay. Um, and so... After, uh, you know, after working in your family's cheese plant, I remember us talking about um, you spending a, a great many years working as a cheese and, and butter grater, was it, for the, for the yeah. state? I worked for the uh, Wisconsin Department of Agriculture, yeah. I and worked first as, a, as an inspector for sanitation, and I'd call on these cheese factories and see that they were keeping their things clean and that the equipment was all right and and uh, I'd call on some dairy farms and see that they were had their milking equipment clean and that sort of thing. And then I went into, um, uh, in Wisconsin, uh, there's a grading standard for cheese. And um, people are licensed to apply a grade. And so the Department of Agriculture has to oversee that these people are actually doing uh, the correct job of uh, grading the cheese. And that is my job to go out to warehouses and factories and see that uh, where they were applying the grade, that it actually was the grade that they said it was. Bill, what was the criteria for the grading? 
Um, there's a standard of uh, how much can be wrong with a product before it's unsaleable, you know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, you would have to look at the body and the texture, just like when we were judging. Remember, we did, tasted things, and we felt of it, and we pushed it, and we squeezed it, and, and uh, ate, ate some of it and tasted the thing. That's the same thing I did uh, with the product when I would go out and look at it uh, in, the, in the field. So you've probably eaten more cheese um, than, you know, most of the people who are alive on this earth today. <laughs> I felt a lot of it anyway. <laughs> Oh, well, um, I think we're actually just about out of time. Um, but I wanted to thank you so much for being on the phone and technical difficulties and all. We, we made it work eventually. So thank you so much. It was so nice to talk with you again. Well, it was nice to hear your voice again, too. You're right. a good help, a good person to work with. So thank, appreciate that. I hope we get to judge again together someday. That was great, great fun. All right. Thanks, Bill. Are you going to the American Cheese Society this year again, Ann? Um, this year I'm actually, I can't go. It's going to be in Austin, Texas, and I've already kind of used up my allotment of travel. Um, and you know, uh, with new projects like this radio show, I'm going to be in New York a little bit more. Um, but next, uh, we're going to do the show every other week to start off with. And, um, next, uh, episode is actually going to be called, uh, it's going to be on Father's Day, June 21st, and it's going to be called Who's Your Daddy? Um, and we're going to talk with different uh, breeders and genetic specialists to talk about how uh, genetics and breeding influences dairy animals. Um, so I would like to thank our sponsor again, um, Hearst Ranch, for their generous support of the Heritage Radio Network. And All right. And uh, we'll see you guys again uh, in, uh, in two weeks. Thank you so much for listening to Cutting the Curd with uh, Ann Saxby and Natalie Jordan.